Okay, so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, I want to quickly review a couple of passages of Scripture with you. Um, let me remind you of the context of what we're fixing to read. This um, We're going to see Jesus on the road to Emmaus talking to a couple of disciples, and then we're going to see Jesus in the upper room talking to His disciples uh, there. We need to remember that He is rose from the dead, and He has really not revealed Himself to too many people at all. And one of the other things that we need to remember in the context of our study tonight is most often we miss God's message. We miss God's messenger because we're bound up in our own emotions, our own feelings, our own uh, realities. Um, Our circumstances a lot of times blind us to the reality of God at work in our lives, right? And when our emotions get to us, it's hard for us to see the truth. It's hard for us to reason through the truth. And that's what's going on here. You'll notice that all through the Scriptures, when God speaks to His people, most of them don't get it. They don't get the message. The prophets come along and give a message. They don't get it. Jesus comes along, lives with His disciples three years, tells them over and over again He's going to die on the cross. They don't get it. And when He comes back, they still don't get it. And what we need to understand is these people believe that Jesus is their Savior, their Messiah, that He's going to come in, He's going to conquer Rome, He's going to take over, become the the King of kings and Lord of lords, conquer all of the world and set them up as rulers with Him to rule and reign on the earth. A lot of you in here have been raised up in uh, dispensational eschatology. Y'all believe Jesus is going to come back and He's going to set up a thousand-year kingdom on the earth, you know, and He's going to rule and reign from here on earth, from the temple in Jerusalem. And the reality is that's exactly what the Israelites were looking for. They were looking for their Messiah to come and set up a kingdom and be King of kings and Lord of lords. And what we need to understand, as we've just passed Easter, is He's done that. But it was in no way, shape, or form like they were looking for. He came and died. He came and laid down His life on a cross to save them. And what they thought salvation looked like was not what salvation was. He was dying on that cross. He was keeping His mouth shut and letting people run over Him and spit on Him and abuse Him and beat Him and take advantage of Him. And He died on that cross and secure the salvation for His people for eternity. And one of the things that you can remember now as we get ready to look at this text is we as Christians need to understand that this world is never going to understand us. They're never going to appreciate us. They're never going to love us. They're never going to care about us. They're, they're going to, they're, remember, the church is the body of Christ. And what they did to Jesus' physical body is exactly the attitude and the reaction that they're going to have to Jesus' spiritual body, which is the what? The church. The church. So what do you think has been happening to the church all through history? It's been persecuted, they've been killed, they've been destroyed, but in death we conquer. What the world sees as dying, what the world sees as misery and suffering and pain, we should be able to see that we are conquered. We're more than conquerors in Christ. And so, not only do we quote that verse, I am crucified with Christ, it's no longer that I that live. We, we quaintly quote that, that, that verse, but we need to remember what crucifixion looks like. It's a horrible death. And so, so often we as 
the body of Christ are looking for healing and restoration. We want our, our bank accounts to look good. We want to be healthy and wealthy and wise and, and have a two-car garage and, and that uh, model wife and, and the, the bank accounts all full and no sickness, no death, no pain, no toothaches, no suffering, no dying. And the reality is that's not what this life is about. This life is about suffering and dying. And for all of us in this room that have suffered and struggled through addiction, one of the things, one of the reasons we got wrapped up in the addictions that we were in is because we were trying to escape the realities of this life. We were trying to get away from the suffering and pain that this life brings. But as a child of God, and as a person who has the Spirit of God living within you, we need to learn to embrace the suffering, the persecution, the ridicule, the shunning, the loneliness. Because that is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so these disciples did not understand that. They saw their conqueror die on a cross. And now they're sad, they're lonely, they're depressed. All of their expectations have been crushed. And in reality, He had on that cross, and pouring His blood out on that cross... He secured an eternal kingdom for them that will never fade away. And so that's kind of the context of what we're reading here. Let's look at this Luke 24 passage. Um, I, I want you to look, and we'll start in verse 13 of chapter Luke chapter 24. Behold, two of them were going the same day to the village named Emmaus, which was 60 stadia from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all the things which had happened. Right? Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus Himself approached and was going with them. But look at verse 16. But their eyes were what? Prevented from recognizing Him. How often in our lives are our eyes prevented from recognizing Him because of our sorrow and our uh, and, and the fact that we're, we're saddened because things aren't going our way? And our our uh, circumstances and our life around us, it feels like it's falling all apart around us. And Jesus is right there in the midst of it. And we can't see Him because we're too focused on ourselves and our circumstances instead of focused on the one that's in control of both. That's the Lord. And so they were sad, they were broken, and it said their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. So remember, our circumstances and our emotions can often blind us to the truth of God. He said, he said, and what are these words that you were discussing with one another as you were walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, now watch this question they asked Jesus. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? He's the only one that is aware. Yeah. You see? How funny. They say, you don't know what's going on. And they said, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a mighty prophet indeed, and word and sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. So he was supposed to be our Savior, but what did the rulers of this world do? They killed him on a cross. But remember, they didn't kill him. He gave up his spirit. He willfully died on that cross. Had he not willfully given up his spirit, he'd have never died on that cross. He clothed himself, he, he clothed himself, he made he walked among us, and then his heavenly father poured upon him our transgressions, our sins, clothed him 
and our sin, imputed our unrighteousness to Him, and then He died on that cross to take that unrighteousness away. And so they said, uh, how the chief priests and rulers delivered Him and sinned. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Now remember, to redeem Israel means, to redeem something means to purchase it. So we were hoping that He had come to rescue us and save us from Roman oppression and set us up as rulers and to heal the blind and cause the, the, the deaf to hear and, and, and to cast the demons out and all of the things that the prophecy said that the Messiah would do. And He did all of those things, didn't He? And He also redeemed His people. He purchased His people on that cross with His blood. But they couldn't see it. They were sad. They were lonely. They, they, they had been let down. But also some women among us astounded us when they went to the tomb early in the morning and not finding His body. They came and they were saying that He had seen a vision of angels who saw Him alive. Alright, now, uh, look what Jesus replies to them in verse 25. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in what? All that the prophets have spoken. Now remember, Jesus is talking to these people. There is no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. There's none of those books to quote from because they, it's going to be 30 more years before they're written. What we know is, is that the Old Testament prophets were preaching the gospel just as much as John 3.16 preaches the gospel. But our eyes are prevented from seeing it because of our circumstances. And then he says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Look what it says, verse 27. Then beginning at, with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. So it goes back to Genesis to Malachi and shows them that it's all about him. Look what it says down in Verse uh, 30. It happened that when he reclined at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, and after breaking it, he gave it to them. Then their eyes were what? Open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And then they said, Were not our hearts burning within us when he was speaking on the road while he was opening the Scriptures to us? So it's not experience, and it's not emotion, and it's not goosebumps and dreams and and and. Uh, intuition or fruit. Uh, it's not those things that God speaks to us through. God doesn't have to speak to you in dreams and emotions and feelings and intuitions. And He speaks to us through His Word. And when He speaks to us through His Word, He always speaks to us through His Word and through the power of His Spirit. So it's always the Word and the Spirit together at work. And when the Word and the Spirit are at work together, guess what happens? Your eyes are open and you see Christ. It's all about Him. Your eyes are open and you see Christ. The only way you're going to see Him is through the Word and the Spirit. And if it's all Word and no Spirit, then you have a Pharisee. Right? And if it's all Spirit and no Word... It's not the Spirit of God, and you have a wackadoo. <laughs> what? Wackadoo. Oh, wackadoo. You have some fanatic, some person that runs around laying hands on everybody and casting demons out of everybody and, and telling them, I had a dream, I had a prophecy, blah, blah, blah. It's all spirit, and there's no word to back it up. When somebody comes to you and they tell you, I have a word for you from God, this is what you tell them. Chapter and verse, please. 
Because if they're speaking to you outside of Scripture, they're speaking out of context, and you are being led astray. It's that simple. God always speaks through His Word and through the power of His Spirit. And the Spirit never works without the Word, and the Word never works without the Spirit. They always work together. Okay? Now, so then He appears to His disciples. Let's go on down quickly to verse 36. They were telling these things. He, he Himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. But being startled and frightened, they thought they were seeing a what? Spirit. Why? Because He died. He physically died on that cross. And it says, He said to them, Why are your hearts troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones like you see. Alright, now remember. Do you remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? And what did, what did he say? He said, If you're not going to give me anything, at least please send Moses, send somebody to my brothers and tell them about this place because I don't want them to come here. And what did Jesus say to them? Do you remember his reply to them? This is what he said. Even if someone were to come back from the dead and stand in front of them and tell them, they still wouldn't believe. Because he did. He did. He came back from the dead and stood in front of them and they thought they were seeing a spirit. Why? Because they couldn't believe. And how many times had he told them, I'm going to die on a cross and come back? Over and over. over. They still didn't believe. Now watch. So they're in unbelief. Do you blame them? No. Alright. Watch what he says. <clears throat> Verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets in the psalm must be fulfilled. Then he what? Open their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness for sins would be proclaimed in His name. So what he's saying is, it's already been written for you. Where was it written? In Moses and the Psalms and the Prophets. So you and I, if you are in this room today and you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God and have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you have the gift within you to open up all of the Scriptures and see Christ in them. And it's the method that Jesus always uses to teach. All of the Scriptures. That means even Leviticus and Numbers and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And all of them books that you skip over because you don't know any of the people's names in there, right? Those books. All of that points us to Christ. And it's all that you're ever going to have in this temporary life to know Him by. Through the preaching of the Word. Through baptism, through communion, through the, the preacher standing on the pulpit and preaching to you. Through prayer, through the means of grace that He has given us. And it all is centered on His Word because His Word is centered on Him. And if you go to a service and you come out of a service and you hear somebody saying, boy, the Spirit was really moving in that church today. You know the problem with that? God's Word says that the Spirit always never speaks of Himself, but always speaks of Christ. He always points people to Christ. 
How do you know if the Spirit's at work in you? He's wanting you to see Christ. He's he's urging you to look to Christ. Not to your feelings, not to your emotions, not to your goosebumps. Right? To Christ. Because that's the answer. The answer's not within you. The answer is in Christ. Right? So, last week we were together and we did so we did like an Easter egg hunt. We went back into the Old Testament. We've been doing this for a couple years now in this class. But since it was Easter, and since there was a couple questions asked about how many of the Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled in Christ, well, they're numberless. I, you'll constantly be finding them. But they're like Easter eggs. They're hidden for us, but through the Holy Spirit we're able to see them. The colors come out and we can tell the contrast of... You know, when you were a kid and you were Easter egg hunting, the, the eggs look funny in a tree. Like, they, it, it don't belong there. And so, once God's Spirit begins to work in your life and open your eyes to all of the Scriptures, and, and your heart is warm to see Him, then He starts standing out everywhere. The Easter eggs are everywhere. You can start grabbing them everywhere. And so, what we did last week is we started on this, this handout of the, these Easter eggs. And so, what I want to do is we got to number five last time. Don't look like we're going to get very far tonight, but Jesus was falsely accused. We saw that together. Now, I want to take a look at about uh, number 6 through, I guess, number 11. And for a context, I want us to turn to Isaiah 53. Okay? So let's go ahead. We're going to read Isaiah 53. And as we read that, I want you to... Look for Christ in, in this passage we're going to read. Remember, this is Isaiah. And Isaiah was given a prophecy to the children of Israel. And he said, when your Messiah comes, this is what he's going to look like. Now remember, Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. Before, remember, Jesus is eternal. He's always been. But before he clothed himself in humanity and walked among us, Isaiah was a prophet that prophesied what he was going to look like when he came. About 700 years before he ever showed up. That's very important for us to remember that this is not like this is not speculation. This is promises. When a prophet speaks, he's speaking the word of God. He's speaking truth. He's speaking a promise, saying, "I promise you, this is what your Messiah is going to look like when he comes." Okay, Isaiah fifty-three. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look upon him. What does that mean to say he had no stately form or majesty? He's poor. He didn't look like a king. Right? He didn't he didn't have any appearance about him that would draw your attention to him. And it said, uh, nor appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried away. I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame. Right? Uh, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Right? So, what did he do? He carried our sorrows, he he bore our shame and here we are walking around with shame and sorrow now when he's already carried it off we're trying to get it back from him and carry something we don't even need to carry anymore he was pierced through for our transgressions all right now remember when this was written there was no such thing as as uh crucifixion the assyrians had not even uh devised that form of torture yet like it wasn't even invented so he was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. All right. Now, so often you'll hear people quote somebody be sick with cancer, and you go into the hospital room and they say, "By his stripes, we are healed." It's not talking about physical healing here. In in a in an eternal content of it. Now remember, when he did come, did he not heal people physically? Yes, he does heal physically. But this is more of healing us and restoring us to what we lost in Adam. Like we lost life. We lost everything. And he came and brought a healing for that. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, I want so Yahweh, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon. Now, I want you to notice that in that verse. That's very important in verse 6. Yahweh caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon Him. What does that mean? God imputed this, our sins onto who? Onto Christ. But whose sins did He impute upon Christ? Us all. Alright? Any of y'all from... It doesn't say all. It said us all. All of us. All, us all. Y'all. Right? If you're from the south, it's y'all. You guys, if y'all from up north, I guess it's you guys, right? All right. So he says, he, he has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to a slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Now, you remember that Luke passage? What did Jesus say? Was it not written that the Christ would suffer and die? He's referring, right? I mean, this is as obvious as it gets. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Who did he die on the cross side? Murder and thief. Right? And it said, he was with a rich man in his death. Where was he buried? In the grave of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. All right, it says because he done no violence, nor was there deceit in his mouth. But Yahweh was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If you would place his soul as a guilt offering, he will see his seed. All right, now what is a person's seed? Their offspring, their descendants. That's exactly right. So remember, God is our Father, Christ is our brother. But in dying, the purchase that he made on that cross, he purchased a seed, a spiritual people for himself, his offspring. All right? It says, and the good pleasure of Yahweh will succeed in his hand. As the result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify everyone. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. It says, the many. Remember what Jesus said when He was at the, uh, at the table with His disciples? This is the cup of My blood that was shed for the many. <laughs> Remember? Who are the many? Those He died to save. How many of the many will be saved? How many of the many that He died to save will be saved? All. All. The good shepherd does not lose a single sheep. Not one. He died on that cross to purchase a people for himself. He died on the cross to purchase a people for himself. Who are those people? 
all of the many. He died. So if you're in this room today and you are a believer, it's because He died to save you. And the reason that you were saved is not because you chose Him, but because He chose you. That is so important for us to remember, guys. It wasn't your choosing. The only thing that you did to participate in your salvation was the sin that caused it to be necessary. It's all about Him. And when He died on that cross, if you're in this room today and you are a believer, it's because when He was on that cross and He said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, He was crying out for every single person that He was on that cross to redeem. His seed. His people. If you're in this room today, that makes you special. And it's not special because of you. It's special because you're His. Right? And when you stand before Him one day, you're not going to be able to brag or boast. There is not one single individual in heaven today that can brag about being there. And there is not one single person in hell today that can say, I don't belong here. Okay? So, with that said, now we see that that's going to be our text for these next few uh, uh, Easter eggs that we're going to look at. So, let's look at number six. Jesus would be silent before his accusers. All right? All right, we just read that. Isaiah 53 7, what did it say? He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. All right? Turn with me over to Mark 14. And we'll look at verses uh, Mark 15, verses 4 and 5. Mark 15, verses 4 and 5. It says this, Pilate was questioning him, saying, Do you not answer? See how many accusations they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answers, so Pilate was amazed. Pilate marveled. He didn't even, he, he didn't even try to defend himself, did he? Remember that Isaiah 53 passage? Like a sheep led, and he did not. Didn't say nothing. 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 Okay. All right, next Easter egg, number seven. Jesus would be spat upon and struck. Let's go back to Isaiah 50 and 6. Isaiah 50 and 6. And it says this. Let's look, we'll start at five. Lord Yahweh has opened my ear, and I did not rebel nor turn my back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not hide my face from dishonor and spitting. Even now, Lord Yahweh helps me. Therefore, I am not dishonored. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Right? So what is it saying? This person is having their beard put, they haven't been spit upon. Why? For standing for God, for doing the right thing. Alright, so he uh, he would be spat on a stroke. Now let's go and look at Matthew 26 and 67. Matthew 26. Alright, everybody got the hang of how this is working? Alright. We'll start in verse 64. Jesus said to them, You yourself said it. Uh, nevertheless, wait, Matthew 26 and 67. 
Jesus said to them, You yourself said it. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Alright, now that's a prophecy from the book of Psalms. What verse you reading? 64. Matthew 26, 64. Then 65 says, Then the high priest tore his garment and said, He is blaspheming. What further need do we have of a witness? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answer what? He deserves death. And it said, Then they spat on his face and beat him with their fifth, and others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, O Christ, who is the one who hit you? Next one. Uh, Number eight. Jesus would be hated without cause. Jesus would be hated without cause. Let's look at that. Um, Number eight. Let's look at Psalm 35. We're going to look at a bunch of verses in there. Psalm 35, 19 to 27. Psalm 35. And 19. This is what it says. Let those who are wrongfully my enemies not be glad over me. Now remember, this is written by who? David, David his great granddaddy. Actually, his great, 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 great granddaddy from about 600, uh, 800, 900 years before Jesus was ever born. Alright? So David is writing this and he's prophesying. It says, He says, let those, this is verse 19, let those who are wrongfully my enemies not be glad over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. They open their mouth wide against me. They said, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen it, O Yahweh. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and wait to my justice and to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Yahweh, my God, according to your righteousness, and do not let them be glad over me. Do not let them say in their heart, Aha, our desire. Do not let them say, We have swallowed him up. Let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who are glad at the evil done to me. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. Let them shout for joy and be glad who delight in my righteousness. And let them continually say, Yahweh be magnified who delights in the peace of his slave. And my tongue shall utter your your righteousness and your praise all day long. So you have two different groups of people there, don't you? You have the one group of people who are cursing him to his face. And then you have the one group of people who are praising God for for this man. Alright? So, uh, he would be hated without a cause. Let's look at Psalm 69.4. Psalm 69.4. I'm going really fast. I want to try to get some of these done tonight, guys. But just stay with me. Psalm 69.4. Those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. That is an amazing line right there. Look what it says. Those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful are... Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. Now listen to this line. I love this line. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. Who who is the thief? Who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy? The devil. devil. And what did he steal and kill and destroy? He said, you are of your father the devil and he has been a murderer and a liar from the beginning. What did the devil steal from us? The earth, dominion over the earth, life everlasting. 
He took it, didn't he? Look what it says again. What I did not steal, I have to restore. He has to restore life. He didn't steal it. The devil did. But he has to restore it, right? You see how that works? Those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. And what was he doing on the cross? He was looking down at a group of people who hated him without cause. And in dying, he was restoring life to us. He was taking our death so that we could have life. They stole, they tried to steal his life, but in trying to steal that, he gave life everlasting to his people. It's a beautiful thing. All right? So, uh, he would be hated without cause. Um, let's look at that next one. Jesus would be a sacrifice for sin. We saw that over and over again in Isaiah 53. Look at Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. It says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. He died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for who? Us. That, that's a very important thing to see. He died for us. Who is us? The believers, the ones he died to save. Five, six through eight. But God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he die for us? To restore to us what had been stolen, what has been restored to us? Eternal life. Now, if Christ died on the cross to restore eternal life to you, do you think he's going to let somebody come and steal it again? No. Oh. And, and it was an act of faith because he did it. Before we were saved, it, it, that's crazy. No, it's not crazy. He, he yes. did it. He did it before we before even accepted him. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we were sinners. Yeah. So, in, in matter of fact, if you, keep, if you yeah, if if you turn into Romans eight, mm-hmm. uh, don't do that now because we got to keep on with our, our class here. Mm-hmm. But in Romans nine and ten, it says something like this: It said, "Before Jacob and Esau even knew good or evil, God had already said, Jacob, I love Esau. I hate.' Before they even had a chance to do anything." Alright. Alright. So, uh, Jesus would be crucified with criminals. Remember in Isaiah 53, he, he had a grave with the wicked. Uh, and who did he die with? We, we're not going to turn to the Matthew passage because we know that story, right? Who did Jesus die with? He, he was crucified with criminals. Right? And one of those criminals turned to him. And what did he say? This day you will be with me in paradise. The man had never been able to to pay back for all the bad stuff he'd done. He didn't even have a chance to get baptized, did he? No. But this day you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because he believed. Right? It's only through faith that we're saved. That guy didn't have a chance to do anything but turn from his sin and turn to Christ. That's all he had time to do. Right? And think about this. You say, well, he, he won't have no rewards in heaven. Right? He didn't have a chance to earn any rewards. But think about this. How many people were saved by hearing his life story in the Scriptures? Probably a lot. Yeah. It should have been me on that cross. Amen. That's right. Me too. Okay. So you crucified criminals. Um, In number 11, Jesus would be given vinegar to drink. All right. Psalm 69, 21. Psalm... 
69, 21. Again, I want to overemphasize to you guys, these things were written 700, 800, 900 years before Jesus was ever born. Jesus would be given uh, vinegar drink. Verse 21, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Hmm. Yep. Um, uh, number 12, Jesus' hands would be pierced. Let's look at Psalm 22 and 16. Psalm 22, 16. <clears throat> For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. All right. Zechariah 12.10. Those of y'all who don't remember, that's right before Malachi. It's right before the end of the Old Testament, right? Zechariah 12.10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Alright, I want you to think about that. <clears throat> what does it say? He will pour out the Spirit of grace on them. What is this Spirit of grace? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And what happens when he pours out that Spirit of grace? They will look on me whom they have pierced. Alright, now, in one sense, there's a prophecy in that where the children of Israel, like the physical descendants of Abraham, are going to realize. What happens in the book of Acts? How many people got saved on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit was poured out, Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. What nationality were those 3,000 people that got saved? They were Jewish. That's exactly right. They had all come to the... To Passover and and Jerusalem, or not Passover, but the Pentecost, they had come to the temple for the festival. And so, what happened? The Holy Spirit poured out on them. What did they do? What did He say? This man who you crucified. And they said, "What must we, sirs? What must we do to be saved?" And they said, "Repent, believe in Jesus." Right. So, what happened? On that day, that prophecy was fulfilled. The Spirit was poured out upon them, and what did they do? They will mourn for Him whom they pierced. Their hearts were broken because their eyes were opened to what they really did when they crucified Jesus. And they were forgiven for it. Not all of them, but the ones that were saved because they believed, you see? Alright, so, uh, hands, feet will be pierced. Jesus will be mocked and ridiculed. We've kind of went over that several times. Um, How about the soldiers gambling for Jesus' garment? Let's turn back to that Psalm 22 passage again. Psalm 22 and verse 7 and 8. All who see me mock me. They smack their lips and they wag their heads saying, Commit yourself to Yahweh. Let Him rescue you. Do you all remember what they said when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Mm-hmm. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now why was He saying that? Why, would he, why was He crying out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Well, look at Psalm 22.1. Look, look at Psalm 22.1. What does it say? My God, my God, my God, you the man of me. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do you think Jesus was doing on the cross? He was crying out this psalm. Why? Because he was fulfilling it right there in front of their face. And what did they say? He's calling on Elijah. See if Elijah will come help him. He wasn't calling on Elijah. He was calling his father. And because he was clothed in our iniquity, his father turned his back on him. And for the only time in his eternal life, he didn't feel the presence of his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting that passage because he was fulfilling that passage. See how that works? And he says, they said, look at verse 7 and 8. Commit yourself to Yahweh. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him because he delights him. Yet you are, well, let's see. Okay, verse 17 and 18. I count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Does it get any more clear than that? His great-grandson is prophesying and writing this. The Spirit has given him the spirit of prophecy to prophesy. And he's going through this terrible torment. And what's he saying? These people are all around me. These dogs have surrounded me. I can see my bones. And there they are. They've ripped all my clothes off. And they're sitting, casting, throwing dice, gambling to see who can have them. All right. And it's not like he was wearing name brand stuff. He was yeah. He's wearing yep. rags. All right, so... Um, here, let's we'll finish with this one night because last time I kept you all a little too long. Jesus' bones would not be broken. All right, turn with me really quickly to Exodus chapter twelve forty six. Exodus twelve. Now, if any of y'all got your Bible, you turn to Exodus twelve. Look at Exodus twelve one. If you got a little. Uh, a little header at the top of it. It's not scripture, but it's a little header. Tell you what's about. What does it say? The Passover lamb. All right. So, what is the contest of this? The children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Now they kill the Passover lamb. They put the blood over the sides and the top of the door. And whoever is within that house, when the angel of death passes over the home. If there's blood on the door, he will pass over that house and not go in, right? Mm -hmm. What's the blood say? Someone has already died here. There's no need for you to come in this home. All right? So this is the story of God redeeming his children, the children of Israel, out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And it's about a Passover lamb, right? All right? Well, let's look at Exodus 12, 46. It says this. It, the Passover lamb, shall be eaten in a single house. You shall not bring forth any of its flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break a bone of it. Hmm. So when you eat the Passover lamb, you don't break any bones. You cook it whole, and you don't break any bones. Now, this is so cool. This is one of my favorite prophecies. So now turn with me to Psalms 3420. Psalm 3420. All right. These are promises made from Yahweh to the one that trusts in Him. Look what it says in verse 20. He keeps all of His bones. Not one of them is broken. Alright? Now, if that's not cool enough, turn now to John 19. And we will look at verses 33 to 36. John 19 
33 to 36. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already what? Dead, they did not break his legs. Okay, so remember, these three guys are on the cross. Uh, the, uh, and the, the Jews said, go ahead and get them down off the cross. We don't want them hanging there on a holy day. And so, you know, when in crucifixion, what happens is you drown in your own blood. Alright? So all of the blood starts coming into your lungs and filling up your lungs. As long as you can stand up, there can be oxygen in your lungs. But as you slump over, your lungs collapse and you fill up with blood and drown. So, after a while... Your feet and your arms cannot hold you up anymore. So what do you do? You slump over and you drown. It usually takes days and days and days. Well, the Roman soldiers come up the cross. What do they do to the, the thieves and the thieves on the cross? They broke their legs. Why? Because if your legs collapse, then you drown quickly and you die. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. Why? Because he had given up his spirit. Why? Because it was finished. You see? And so they didn't have to do what? Break his legs. Alright? And now, here's what's really here's another cool one, and then we're done. First First Corinthians five six. First Corinthians five six. Alright? This is this is still about the bones being broken. Okay, this is still that same prophecy. All right, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now remember this. In Exodus, when the children of Israel got ready to kill the Passover lamb, for seven days they had to go around their house and sweep all of the leaven out of the house. All right? So what did Paul say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you were in fact unleavened. For Christ, our what? Passover lamb also was sacrificed. So what is Paul doing? He's telling us that Christ is the Passover, the real Passover lamb. Remember what it says in the book of Hebrews? It says this, The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. It was a man who brought us into death, and it was a man that had to bring us out of death. Amen. All right, so um, we're, we're going to be done with this. These, all these Easter eggs that are in here, there's still about ten more. You take them and dig into them yourself. I do hope that you'll study them and think about what what you're learning today. Okay? Did you do all the research? Huh? Uh, no, no, no. I, um, there's you can go to websites and pull up all of these anywhere. I, I I read all of them, but I'm not the one that composed sure. that. All right. I can't take credit for that. I went online and I did with two last month. Tony asked me how many of the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. I went online and said, "How many Old Testament prophecies Jesus fulfilled?" Now, again, this is not all of them. This is just a little sample. All of these, the ones that you have on this piece of paper, all have to do with Easter, about the Easter of the Passover week, the Passion week, because last week was Easter, and that's why we did it. Okay, I want to thank you guys for your time. Let's close with a quick word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, You love us and You sent Your Son to show us that love. He died on that cross to to seal that love for us and to seal seal our salvation. We thank You, Jesus, for the sacrifice that You made on that cross uh, so that that we could be saved. We thank You, Father. We thank You, Son, uh, for sending Your Spirit to convince us, to convict us, uh, to transform us into Your children. And we just thank You now 
for the beauty of Your Word, the promises that You always keep. And I just pray that each person in this room will grasp and appreciate how You do keep those promises. And I pray that You will give all of us, including myself, a desire and a passion to dig into Your promises and know them more and more so that we can be conformed to the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, Amen. Amen. Amen.